Welcome to Emergency Episode 145A of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, here on a day that's been one of seismic news in tennis, the biggest tennis anti-doping story, probably in the sport's history, at least in terms of stature, with Maria Sharapova in her highly anticipated mystery press conference Monday in Los Angeles, announcing that she had tested positive for the now-banned substance meldonium during the Australian Open and that it was a substance that she had been taking for 10 years, which just this year was placed under the new status of being banned. She knew it by the name Mildrenate, but it was banned under the name Meldonium. Uh, she takes full responsibility for this. Here is Maria. Let's hear from, let's hear some audio from Maria at her press conference today. Thank you um, for being here on, on such short notice. Um, I wanted to let you know that a few days ago I received a letter from the ITF that I had failed a drug test at the Australian Open. I did fail the test, and I take full responsibility for it. For the past 10 years, um, I have been given a medicine called Mildrenat by my doctor, by my family doctor. And a few days ago after I received the ITF letter, um, I found out that it also has another name of meldonium, which I did not know. It's very important for you to understand that for 10 years, this medicine was not on WADA's ban list, and I had been legally taking the medicine um, for the past 10 years. But on January 1st, the rules had changed, and meldonium became a prohibited substance, which I had not known. I was given this medicine um, by my doctor for several health issues that I was having back in 2006. I, um, I was getting sick a lot. I was getting the flu. Every couple of months, I had irregular EKG results, um, as well as indications of diabetes with a family history of diabetes. Um, I thought it was very important for me to come out and speak about this in front of all of you because throughout my long career I have been very open and honest about many things and I take great responsibility and professionalism um, in my job every single day and I made a huge mistake and I, I've let my fans down, I've let the sport down that I've been playing since the age of four that I love so deeply. Um, I know that with this, I, I face consequences, and I've, I don't want to end my career this way, and I really hope that I will be given another chance to play this game. Um, and I know many of you thought that I would be... <laughs> retiring today and announcing my retirement, um, but if I was ever going to announce my retirement, it would probably not be in a downtown Los Angeles hotel with this fairly ugly carpet, um, and I will be taking a few questions. Hi, Maria. Jürgen Schmieder from Süddeutsche Zeitung. How can you explain that, that you work with a doctor and who should know the rules 
um, did not know that they changed the rules? Well, I, I have to take full responsibility of it because it's my body and it's what I put into my body and I can't blame anyone for it but myself, no matter who I'm working with. I think it's very important to to have a great team around you with coaches and and doctors, but at the end of the day, everything you do is is about you. Could you first spell the name of the drug and also have you been informed whether you've been banned or suspended for any length of time? Um, well, the medicine is called Mildronat, and the substance, um, it has another name of Meldonium. And I received a letter on December 22nd um, from WADA, um, an email with the changes happening for next year, as well as reporting your whereabouts, um, and a link to um, a button where you can press to see the prohibited items for 2016, and I did not look at that list. Why were you taking the substance? How long again were you taking it? And, and the medical conditions behind it, if mm -hmm. you don't mind. I was first um, given the substance back in, in 2006. Um, I had several health issues going on at the time. I was getting sick very often. Um, I had a, a deficiency in magnesium. Um, I had irregular EKG results, and um, I had a family history of diabetes um, with... Um, with first signs of diabetes, and that was one of the medications along with several others that I had received. It made me healthy, and that's why I continue to take it. Interestingly, in a statement by WADA today, uh, they said that meldonium was added to the prohibited list because of its use by athletes with the intention of enhancing performance. Because of her current employment with the WTA, Courtney has decided to recuse herself from this discussion episode, so I have brought in to join me the best person I could think of to talk about doping issues in tennis, who is Richard Engs. Richard served as the head of ATP anti-doping for five years, and after that led the Australian anti-doping authority for five years as well in a role there. Uh, we talked about all sorts of things about how this decision came to be, what, how much degree of sympathy or understanding Sharapova deserves in this case for having tested positive and what it says about the status of doping and testing in tennis in general. Here's Richard. Very pleased to be joined for this topic by Richard Engs, who knows more about this than probably anybody in tennis but from a few different sides of the anti-doping equation. Richard was the head of the ATP's anti-doping unit for five years, and after that spent five years heading ASADA, which is the Australian anti-doping agency. Richard, thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Mike. Nice to chat. So I guess I'll let you lead off here. What were your first reactions when you saw this news? Because I know that you, with your expertise in this sort of thing, immediately see it through a bunch of different lenses. I guess what, what's the thing that jumps out most to you uh, from a tennis perspective, from a doping perspective, from, from anything here? Well, I guess from a couple of different angles. Firstly, far and away, this is the biggest doping issue that's ever occurred in, in the sport of tennis. We've, we've seen Peter Corder, we've seen Guillermo Correa, we've seen... Greg Rosetsky over over the last decade, but there's no player of the of the stature of a Maria Sharapova who has ever confronted this sort of a, a doping charge. So that's the first thing. The the second thing is that this is a substance, um, moldonium, which has only recently been added to the banned list. So the the big question here is that how was Maria Sharapova not aware of 
the addition of, of this banned drug to the list from the 1st of January and ending up in, in such a terrible set of circumstances. Yeah. No, for sure. That's, I guess, where I want to go when I sort of start to sympathize with it a little bit or try to understand it more, because I don't think anybody thinks that Maria willfully took something she knew was against the rules. You know, I don't think she was looking to try to beat the system in that way. Um, and maybe other people are coming to that conclusion. But in this case, where does the responsibility lie for Maria Sharapova knowing this is illegal? Is it, is it her responsibility to get this email and go through the attached PDF and look up the scientific names of all these different drugs to essentially have, you know, her own level of pharmaceutical expertise? Or is it something that the ITF or WADA should have communicated more clearly to her or that her doctor should have known that she was on this drug or that IMG, her management agency or doctor, should somehow have somebody looking her out for her here? Because, I mean, she's it's not like Maria Sharapova's, you know, player on her own. She is the highest paid female athlete in the world. She has incredible resources on this front and a big support staff who I think let her down here. I'm not exactly sure who, but I think a bunch of people probably dropped the ball or at least one person, if there was one person charged with keeping track of this. Yeah, look, look. at the end of the day, the obligation, the ultimate obligation and the ultimate responsibility rests with sure. the player. It's the player who will face the consequence if they end up falling afoul of anti-doping rules. So the obligation falls to the player. But players in tennis have, have entourages around them, as you said. There, there, there's IMG, there's, there's quite a large entourage. Um, the International Tennis Federation, in my experience, does a pretty effective job of communicating changes to the list. Remember, these changes happen annually. This is an annual process that the ITF and the ATP will go through, getting out these changes to make sure that players are aware. But again, at the end of the day, it's the player who has to open the email. It's the player who has to look at the app. It's the player who has to be careful of what they take. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think Maria did a pretty good job of owning up to that, saying this is my fault. You know, I take responsibility. She said she didn't want the bead sample tested, which I think shows, you know, a pretty, I'm not sure how common that is, but it shows a pretty good level of, of ownership, as they say, on this. Do you think, do you think that will, how she addressed it today and how she came out ahead of the news will uh, help her ultimately down the road? Well, I mean, what Maria Sharapova did today was a, was a masterclass in how to manage an incredibly difficult issue that faces many athletes um, over periods of time. She received a notification of a positive test and, and literally within days she was holding a very, very open press conference to, to accept responsibility, to acknowledge her role in what happened, uh, to provide her explanation, which is only reasonable. Um, so now it, it's really going to be up to a tribunal. This, this needs to go to, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport to make sure there's no backroom deals, that all the facts are put on the table and that an independent decision is made as to whether she has a low degree of fault or perhaps greater degree of fault. As someone who knows a lot about how that sort of determination is made, what would you say her, her degree of fault is? And I guess if you can explain how that sort of judgment gets made on what could seem to be a fairly uh, theoretically subjective sort of verdict. Yeah, well, the first thing is that this particular um, pharmaceutical, it, it, it's a clearly a banned drug. There's, there, there's no mitigating circumstances on the substance itself. So the maximum potential ban is up to four years. Mm. But that, that only applies if the player is intentionally using the drug to enhance performance. So the likely maximum ban is two years. Um, but if, if Maria and her support team can show that she has real mitigation, that she took care, that she, she took reasonable steps to avoid ingesting 
such a banned substance. It is possible it could be, be reduced to one year. And finally, I'll say that if she has legitimate medical reasons, remembering this is a pharmaceutical to treat quite serious medical conditions, if if she has a doctor's prescription for treating those types of those types of uh, of illnesses and uh, and situations, then that may provide her with further mitigation and further opportunity to reduce the ban. It's something that she possibly could have maybe gotten a therapeutic use exemption for under the right circumstances. I mean, if, if, you, if she like that's the, that's an example of one that might happen. You know, if someone has a, a legitimate medical condition, as she's saying, she had you know a variety of issues. She mentioned you know diabetes and family history of that and other other things about getting sick when she was initially prescribed this. I mean, I guess. My my thought, my question is, um, would anyone in tennis or in WADA or in uh, the ITF or whatever other agency outside of Team Cherapova and outside of her and her doctor have known that she was taking this drug? And would they have been able to flag this to her? Or was this just going to be about somebody who knew catching this one, you know, item and buried in a, a PDF? That was attached to an email that probably, honestly, I doubt many players read thoroughly, and especially with the sort of um, with the sort of pharmaceutical knowledge to know the various names for this. I mean, I think she said she knew the drug by the name, or at least her lawyer said today that she knew the drug by the name mildronate, and it's in the list as meldonium. And I, I, it would take, I think, more than a layperson's knowledge to know that those are the same thing. Yeah. Look, I, again, I guess where we need to come back to is that you know when a player is taking a pharmaceutical they need to check it against the ban list. And all of the players know that every January, the ban list changes. This is an annual event. And yeah. a player of the of the experience of Sharapova will have been through this, you know, a dozen times over the years that she's been playing in tennis. The ITF does a pretty good job of communicating that there are changes. There are meetings held at the Australian Open, mandatory meetings with players to let them know. The ITF has an app. The players can download on their phone to, to put in the names of particular substances. So if she didn't check the box to look at the, the, the chemicals it contained, then you know her, her degree of fall is, is not trivial here. I just, just to play devil's advocate, I guess, though, if she had been legally taking it for 10 years, I mean, it seems to me that it's harsh for this thing that had not been an issue for her in her career before, for her to be responsible for... And I say her and her team, really. I'm putting with how big an empire Sharapova is, is, I don't think she's necessarily the one who should be in charge of knowing, being a pharmacy expert, uh, per se. I'm sure she has doctors and things like that. But um, obviously, you know, she's the head of Team Sharapova. Fault lies with her. Ultimately, she's the athlete. But just wondering if this was flagged in any way, if this was, you know, bold marked in something more digestible than a fairly technical document that has, like I said, a name that might not have corresponded to what she knew this product name to be. You know, checking through all of this stuff. I mean, every athlete, Maria just being the example on this point, all of this uh, different medical names for things that come out in these long, long, very dense lists of banned substances and uh, knowing, you know, alternate names for things like that. How And how much is this something that she should be able to be an expert on herself? Or how much do did someone let her down here, whether it's the ITF or... WTA or WADA and something and not making this clearer to her that it was a problem. Because I will say also adding that I saw in Chris Clary's story, I believe that seven different athletes have already tested positive for this substance in 2016 already, just a few months into the year, which seems to me to show that it's not a lot of people are uh, been a lot of people are caught unaware of the switch quite possibly. 
Well, you know, last year when Muldonium was on the monitoring list, uh, 2.2% of the of the tens of thousands of samples collected globally contained this this drug. So that's very high, right? That's a, that's a very high percentage. Now we have had a handful come through with positives. There's been a couple of biathletes. There's been some track and field um, competitors in, in Russia. There's been some distance runners in Kenya, and now we have uh, one tennis player. Um, look, uh, again, I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but the responsibility does rest with the athlete, and and the federations can do a lot, and WADA can do a lot to get the message out and, and the information out there. But the ultimate check is for the athlete before they put the pill in their mouth to look on the box and the ingredients and check it against the band list. And Sharapova has a big entourage. You know, she earned twenty nine yeah. million dollars in prize money last year. You know, it's it's not a big issue for someone with that sort of resource and entourage around them, whether it's IMG or trainers or or whoever, to protect that player from making these sort of mistakes. No, for sure. It seems like definitely something her doctor should have been on top of, um, if not hers. I mean, she should have somebody, like I said, it's just such a huge enterprise, Maria Sharapova Incorporated, to have something like this take it down. It's, it's just sloppy. I would agree with you on that, for yeah, sure. And look, you, you actually, you, you raise a very good point. If, if there's a family doctor, the family doctor would know that this is an elite professional, often drug-tested athlete who cannot take anything that's even remotely close to being on the ban list and that it should be thoroughly checked before it's given to her. That doesn't absolve Maria of responsibility, but there is a, an onus of care on, on her support staff as well. I saw people commenting, saying that you know she'd been taking this performance-enhancing drug for 10 years, and so she should be considered to have been doing something. If, I saw people crudely on Twitter calling, saying that she'd been doping for 10 years already, and now she just finally got caught. But I think, obviously, this was a legal thing before. I mean, how much should... Um, we read into her having taken this drug initially, uh, which was something that was never approved legally in the U.S. And Cherpova, as we know, lives in the U.S. full time, pretty much doesn't spend much time in Russia. But yet she has a Russian doctor giving her a drug uh, that's not legal in much of the world. So does that does that in and of itself raise specter of suspicion or at least of um, her trying to, I mean, I don't want to say take advantage, but, you know, push push the boundaries of what's uh, permissible and and possibly dodgy. Oh, look, in many parts of the world, this is a legal medication. It's it's given by prescription. It is produced in Eastern Europe, but it does have legitimate therapeutic purposes. Um, you, it's true you can't buy your local Walgreens. You, know, you, you, you can't buy it down at the local pharmacy anywhere in the US or Canada. Um, that's absolutely true. Um, it, it has been allowed to be used by athletes through the 31st of December last year. So anything that's happened in the past with using this particular pharmaceutical is perfectly allowed. It's perfectly okay. We shouldn't look back. We should be looking at from 1 January onwards. We should be looking at the reasons why she continued to use it. We should be thinking about the benefit that she would have received by using it at the Australian Open competing against other 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 women players who were not using a banned performance enhancing drug. And there will be a consequence. We just need to hope that it's proportional to her degree of fault. You mentioned that 2.2% of athletes had been shown to be taking this before it was banned. Um, I guess on that number alone, that's one in 50. You might expect that more tennis players will have tested positive for this in Australia. Is that possible? Would you expect that? Well, I mean, this is a this is a drug that, that appears to be incredibly easy for the authorities to detect, to detect in a urine sample. Um, there has been communication that's been going out. Um, particularly the last three months of last year, letting people know of the changes. 
I would say that the vast majority of athletes have got that message and have stopped using this particular drug. There's been a handful that have come through with positives in a in a variety of different sports um, who maybe didn't get the message or maybe didn't listen to the message. But whatever the explanation is, there'll be a consequence which they will face inevitably. Maria first. I guess people will label her now as a doper for the rest of her career. It's something that happens. You know, people don't look at mitigating circumstances. They see the headline to say Maria Sharapova failed doping test or tested positive for a performance enhancing drug. And that will be the end. It'll be a black mark that for some people will never be able to be erased. I mean, do you think that's that's fair in this case? Well, well, unfortunately, she has tested positive to a performance-enhancing drug, and it is a significant setback both professionally and reputationally by the fact that that has happened. Um, I don't think anyone could draw the conclusion that that she's a drug cheat, but she's been incredibly careless, and she has competed at a Grand Slam with a performance-enhancing drug in her body. Um, and it may have been inadvertent, but it was there. And it's unfair to the other competitors at the event. And there should be a consequence, depending on the overall degree of fault that she had for how it got into a body. This was a su- substance that she took intentionally. I mean, this was something that she knew that she was taking this drug. She just didn't know that it was banned. So in terms of in- intentional ingestion or however they measure that, she would seem to pass or fail or whatever. You know, she meets that guideline for sentencing. So how, how do you think, what, what sort of sentence do you have to do you predict here in, in this situation, which is going to be one of the most looked at tennis doping, the most looked at tennis doping uh, verdict ever, probably? Yeah, look, it, it, it's difficult to speculate, but we, we can sort of go back to first principles here. She, she's admitting that she's committed an anti-doping rule violation. She's admitting that she took a banned substance. She's waived her right to a B sample. So there will be a doping offense that's been found against her. The only issue now will be her degree of fault and the consequence. Now, it starts at four years. Four years is if you deliberately cheated, deliberately, knowingly took something. Um, I don't think anybody is suggesting that. So we drop down to two years. From there... But where, where, do you draw, where do you draw the line on what cheating is, I guess, though? I mean, because she did deliberately take this medication. It's not like it was a contaminated substance. Yeah, look, I mean, there, there, there's a bit of a gray area here. Um, Obviously, yeah. she deliberately took the substance, but did she deliberately take it knowing it would enhance her performance? Um, we, we sort of can't get into the in, into the detail of that because we just don't know. And it's one of the reasons why the next outcome here needs to be for this to go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. There, there needs to be a hearing. It can't just be a deal done behind closed doors in the back room of the ITF's offices in Roehampton. It, it needs to go to an independent tribunal, all the facts on the table. In fact, it could even be an open hearing. Um, this has now been put into the public domain by by Maria Sharapova. Um, let transparency shine on this and let's let's hear all the facts and, and then we can make a judgment as to exactly what's happened. Yeah, you mentioned transparency and I know tennis has gotten a lot of heat in the past for its lack of transparency and it's led to a suspicion that sometimes that maybe there were silent bans or players possibly testing positive that weren't being publicized. I mean, you've obviously heard that speculation about, you know, various players, various moments. Andre Agassi's revelations in his book added a lot of fuel to that fire. Do you think in any ways that, and granted, she's coming forward with it herself, so it's a little bit of a different situation, maybe. But do you think in any ways that this is a, um, I'm not sure what the right word is for it, but a moment that sort of validates the tennis anti you know, the testing programs, if this world-class top-paid female athlete in the world is shown to be not beyond the law here? 
Yeah, look, I, I think there's two aspects of that. The, the, the first one is the announcement that Maria Sharapova made. I, I thought it was incredibly well done. I thought it was the smart thing to do. But it's disappointing that the, the tennis anti-doping rules don't make such announcements a mandatory component of the rules. Um, tennis has a view that these things should not be announced until they're completed. Well, when you're dealing with a, a top 10 player, they can't just disappear. People will notice around the world. It's inevitable that it's going to leak. So it should be formally announced. And this should be a learning to the ITF that making such an announcement as today is actually a good thing for the athlete and a good thing for the sport as, as it moves forward. So what was the second part of the question? Um, I guess, do you think it should, yeah, I guess, does it quell any doubts about, you know, conspiracy theories that have been had in the past to have a name like Sharapova get caught in this net? Yeah, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, abound in, in, in sport. Um, sadly, conspiracy theories often prove to be conspiracy facts. You know, we, we, we've seen this in, in, in parts of Russia and we're seeing it in parts of Kenya as well. So, you know, no um, international federation is above doing the wrong thing. But I think in this particular case, what we can take away is that the, the ITF took a sample, that the sample did test positive, that they went through a proper process to review and check that it, that it was clearly a positive A sample. They communicated to Ms. Sharapova in early March, which is pretty quick, you know, four or five weeks after the after the match. And within a couple of days, um, Maria Sharapova has gone public to accept that she's committed an anti-doping rule violation, and she's a megastar. So it, 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 it's good process from the ITF. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Russian aspect of this. That's something we haven't really gotten into. Obviously, Russia's been in the spotlight quite a bit with the levels of malfeasance at Rusada, which is the uh, Russian anti-doping, or at least, you know, the cover-ups there and the various documentaries about Russian doping. Do you think it's fair to lump in Sharapova with that broader, you know, trend that we're noticing, that larger scandal in sports doping? And maybe that shows that, Tennis, I don't know, tennis is not as detached or as above it as we might think otherwise. That players who are from countries that have instances of of doping or even of just of doctors prescribing substances that some might see as dodgy, uh, tennis players wanting to get those advantages like anybody else. Well, you know, doping in sport is a big issue and doping in tennis is a big risk. Um, you know, tennis is a sport where the more you can play the more ranking points you earn and the more prize money you earn. The the faster you can overcome injury, the more prize money you can earn and the more ranking points you earn. And when you're playing at big events, you're expected to play a lot of matches over over a week or two weeks and back up for tournament after tournament. So it's a sport that's perfectly made for the use of performance-enhancing drugs, aid stamina, aid recovery, aid strength, aid speed. It's it's perfect for a sport where there's so much money that, that, that can be made. So tennis is not immune. It's a high-risk sport. Um, it just needs to do as a sport as much as it possibly can do. It'll never eliminate doping, just like it'll never eliminate match-fixing, but it just needs to do everything within its power that it possibly can do. Do you think tennis is doing everything in its power right now? Look, the, um, the tennis anti-doping program, going back a couple of years ago, I was highly critical of it. I felt that it was... It was too narrow. It was not doing enough out-of-competition testing. It was not doing anywhere near enough blood testing. It has improved a great deal in the last couple of years. It would probably be in, in the top five um, programs in terms of 
in terms of best practice application of anti-doping uh, anti-doping techniques. But even then, even when you're doing the very best you possibly can do, there's still drugs that can't be detected. There's there's still challenges in the space. But look, it's not bad. It's not a bad program. What's the lesson here for for everybody? Is it that players have to just be aware of every of all movements on WADA and make sure that it's you know forefront in their minds? Is this a failure? Mostly, like I said, of, of entourage or of communication of somebody, is it showing that players are always doing things to test the limits? I mean, you said that she wasn't performance enhancing before, but I mean, by strict definition, she was taking something that was performance enhancing before. It just happened to be legal before. Is there a lesson, I guess, just to wrap this up? Is there a moral to this story that players and fans and media and coaches and entourages and everybody else should, should heed? Yeah, look, I, I, I think this is a story with a savage warning for all players. On the 1st of January every year, the WADA prohibited list is updated. And as professional players, you need to know the rules. You need to know the rules that you're playing under. Um, the information is there. It's, uh, the, the, the governing bodies try and communicate it to you. They put apps on your phone. They put notices up in locker rooms. They, they have meetings, general player meetings at Grand Slams. The, the governing bodies are trying all they can do. But at the end of the day, there are thousands of ranked players all around the world, and you've got to read that list when it comes out and make sure what you're taking is not on it. Do you think it would be helpful to players if they just had, if Sharapova, let's say, had a database somewhere at the ITF or WADA already that listed whether she thought they were an issue or not, every single supplement, every medication she was taking, so that when something did switch its status from being illegal to or legal to illegal, that she would be immediately flagged and they would sound an alarm to let her know well, look, rather than her having to do the research herself, you know? Yeah. Look, 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 in theory, that sounds good. But unfortunately, tennis is too big. There are, there are, you know, there are thousands and thousands of ranked players at all levels, you know, from juniors through to the elite professionals, um, you know, from hundreds of different countries with, with languages and different names on substances. Um, it, it's an incredibly difficult thing to hold the hand of every single one of those players through this process. You make the information available to them and the obligation falls to those players. Um, the consequence will fall on those players if they get it wrong. So the obligation to be aware of the changes, and it's not hard, 1st of January every year. She's been playing for how long? 12, 14 years as a pro, 1st of January every year. The list has changes. You just need to check it. I just think that tennis would serve itself well by having this sort of thing taken care of on their own end in that, you know, they just lost Maria Sharapova. They lost one of their most marketable stars, at least for however long she's out uh, and her reputation beyond that. They were the ones who got hurt here. If they had been doing something on their end to protect the players more, to keep the players, you know, not on their own, because she was on her own on this. There wasn't a sense that, I mean, as much as, you know, she she's on her own in the sense that every individual player is on their own and maybe she should be, maybe someone who's on her payroll should have caught this for her. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I just, I think with all the things that Sharapova has to do with her being a grand slam contender, her various off court interests and things, I just think it's unrealistic for, and even if it's, you know, the re responsibility quote unquote of every player, but I think it's unrealistic for them to imagine Maria Sharapova getting this email, diligently pulling out her pharmacist's, you know, dictionary and leafing through everything on her, her list on her own. I just, I, that, that visual doesn't make sense to me as something that um, is plausible happening with, with a top player and really with any player. I, I can't imagine, maybe there are, but I can't imagine there are players who 
go through it to the extent of knowing every ingredient and every ingredient synonym and things like that. Yeah, you know, in all the years that I worked in, in men's pro tennis, um, there was one group of players who were very meticulous in always checking this list. They were the ones who had already faced a, a doping violation. They, these are the ones sitting on a first strike. And if they faced a second strike, these are the ones who had dodged the bullet, you know, maybe with a maybe with a one-year ban or a two-year ban, but get it wrong a second time, you're looking at four years to eight years. Um, they're the ones who are very careful because they've learned by painful experience. Um, an athlete like Maria Sharapova has incredible obligations, you know, commercial obligations and playing obligations. But one of her greatest obligations of all is to compete drug-free, is to check the list and make sure she's complying with very critically important set of rules and it may have been inadvertent it may have been careless but this is a very costly mistake she's made i guess you mentioned the first strike people being more you know more aware of that and it obviously makes sense it's not something that you know it's one of those things until it happens to you you can't really it seems like a it's i can imagine it being an easy thing to sort of say oh that would just happens to other people and so on um but i guess should there be lenience especially given the fact that you know it's not like she I mean, not. I guess I'm asking if there should be a grace period for her testing positive within the first month of the change being in effect. Well, one of the reasons why the, the changes to the prohibited list are announced in September of the year before is to give everybody that, that, that clear window, that three-month notice, to, to, to be aware, to change their medication, to, to get ready for the 1st of January when the, when the new changes to the list come into force. So, so th- this is a well-tried thing in, in in sport it's been done this way september announcement january first launch you know for, for more than a decade um the players are really aware of this and no one would be more aware of it than a, a player of the experience of the marine sharapova this is purely speculative but do you think that she is there any precedent or could she be within her rights to file lawsuit for negligence against the doctor or against her management agency for failing to catch this for her? Oh, look, I, I mean, I, I don't really want to get into the legal side of things, except to say that there has been precedent for this. There was a, a, yeah. a, a top-ranked swimmer in uh, Korea, uh, you know, almost a world record-holding swimmer in Korea, Olympic standard swimmer, who tested positive for a, a banned substance. It was given to him by by the doctor and uh, pursued uh, damages, uh, some sort of damages against the doctor. So, look, it... It can happen, absolutely, um, but it's not going to put the genie back in the bottle, is it? No, it's definitely not. And thank you very much, Richard, for pouring out your considerable bottle of information on this uh, this topic here. I really appreciate your your time and your your knowledge on this on this pretty tricky, but very important topic. Yeah, not a problem, mate. That's okay. This is a day that the entire tennis community will be sifting through the rubble of for quite some time and we'll do the same here on ncr for sure sharing uh more sort of feelings you know reactions going forward how this affects maria how this affects the sport just since i talked to richard on the phone uh, nike announced that it is suspending its relationship with maria sharapova which is massive obviously considering the uh, scale of that partnership and that relationship and the longevity of it and the money involved and the fallout from this will be just massive and uh we'll take some time obviously we'll we'll keep covering it however we can uh through indian wells this week through the remainder of the year as the dust settles and we start to make sense of it all with that infamous vika gif what is going on here 
type expression on our faces and sadness at what was obviously a development no one wanted to see coming. Uh, Bad day for tennis overall, bad for obviously a player who's one of the tour's greatest superstars, one of the sports superstars of all time and someone who's bigger than the sport itself. And uh, this is not something we saw coming, but it is something that will keep going. So with that in mind, thank you very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app. If you have questions for us, send them to us at nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. The executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Francisco Resendez of tennisballs.com and Tal Woolly. Thank you guys very much for listening. We'll be back to you later this week from Indian Wells. See you soon. Died and the world just shrugged it off.